This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. What I'm going to do is either can be considered a sobriety checkpoint or something completely crazy, but I've been given the, some might consider unenviable task of talking about the evolution of early human body form, and particularly in the context of understanding shapes in, of everything from the neck down associated with the origins of genus Homo. Now, we have this idea about the transition from Australopithecus to Homo. When we look at Australopithecus skeletons, we see they're different from ours. They tend to be smaller in body size. Males are much, much larger than females. We tend to see that they seem to have shorter lower limbs, longer upper limbs. They have longer, more curved fingers and toes. Um, they look pretty different in body form. And we have the idea that to go from something like an Australopith to something like us involved a series of changes that we see when we make a comparison like this. And sure enough, when we look at some of the early Homo erectus fossils, like this beautiful Turkana boy from Kenya, he's about 1.6 million years old, we see that he also seems to share some of those features of the postcranial skeleton that we see in humans, and that he seems to have more human-like limb proportions with longer, stronger legs, bigger lower limb joints, smaller upper limbs, thinner body form. So this transition has shaped our ideas about what the adaptive changes would have been to go from point A to point B. Because after all, if we're trying to understand why and how our genus evolved, we need to know what changes happened. Did they happen together? Did they happen as a package? Were some of the features evolving at different times in different places? Those are the data that we have to come up with our ideas about why it all happened. So when we look at something like this, we see Australopiths here, they sort of have the stocky ape shape. They're maybe living partly in the trees. And then we have these more savanna-dwelling animals that may have been doing long-distance walking and running, using fancy pants stone tools, all kinds of things. But in terms of the postcranial skeleton, some of the features that we think of at this transition that fuels our adaptive ideas is have to do with changes in limb proportions, changes in lower limb joint size, changes in the shape of the torso, changes in body size and dimorphism, or difference between males and females. So what I'd like to do today is take you through a little bit of the evidence we have, and there's only a little bit to talk about, so I won't be up here very long, um, to see, first of all, was Australopithecus as different from what we think of as Homo as we thought? And I'm also going to talk a little bit about what we have from the earliest part of the Homo fossil record in the way of postcranial bones that may tell us something about what was happening. So we'll start with Australopiths, because that's the easy part. We have more fossils. If you open up any human evolution textbook, you'll see a picture something like this, where you look at the body shape of the torso of Australopithecus, and you see this reconstruction. This was based on fossils done 35 or 40 years ago. There are more fossils that have come in to change our ideas a little bit. But you see this stocky animal with this cone-shaped rib cage. If you connect the dots there and imagine a belly, it would be a big belly, very stiff and immovable. And this would shape our ideas of locomotion and how these things moved around and maybe even digested biology and so forth. Well, we know from a whole lot of fossils that this probably is no longer really an accurate way to look at things. We have a number of different vertebral columns that show that the characteristic curvatures in the human vertebral column that hold us upright were present in early Australopithecus. There are lots of vertebrae in the lower back so they can stand up fully upright, so they're not that ape-like that way. 
And there are some new fossils that are bringing new bits of data, and I'll show you one of those bits of data. This is a skeleton called Catanumo. It means big man. It's an Australopithecus male, and he's nice and big. And we're very excited. There are those of us who care about ribs are very excited because it actually has some ribs. And you can measure the curvature of those ribs to say something about what maybe the rib cage would have been like. And you see apes have this cone-shaped rib cage with very sort of straight ribs. Humans curve around, give you this more slender barrel-shaped rib cage. You can measure this in Katanumu, and you can see it's right down here with humans and gibbons who also have this rib cage shape. Very different from something we see in great apes. And data like these are giving us the picture that, in fact, the body shape of Australopithecus may not have been so different from our own as we had long thought. We also can take a look at limb length. We have this idea that Australopithecus has more ape-like limb proportions, longer upper limbs, smaller lower limbs, based partly on good old Lucy here. Lucy is teeny tiny, so this is lower limb to upper limb. You can pretty much pick your favorite measure. It doesn't much matter. And you see that chimps and gorillas here have bigger upper limbs than humans for their lower limb size, and Lucy seemed to fit that picture. But new data, like these ones showed here, again from Katanumu, show that once you get larger, in fact, Australopiths don't really have very short legs. They maybe have longer arms, but they don't really have short legs. And Trent Holliday and other people have done similar analyses to suggest that maybe the lower limbs weren't that much shorter in Australopiths. They were just littler animals. So there may not be as big a change in limb length from Australopith to Homo as we had thought. Um, another thing we've learned recently comes from the foot. An ape has a foot with not just a grasping big toe, but the whole thing is flexible so it can wrap around branches and hang on in the trees. Whereas our feet are very stiff and they form a nice propulsive lever to move us forward when we walk on the ground on two feet. And that propulsive lever is supported by arches that go from front to back and side to side that are built into the structure of the bones of our foot. So when we lift our heels off the ground, they stiffen up and they let us work well. We've known for a long time from fossil footprints that Australopithecus did not have a grasping big toe. But recently, um, Bill Kimball and his colleagues found this bone from the middle part of the foot. It's called a metatarsal. And it shows us that the Australopith foot, just like what we see with maybe Homo habilis or Homo erectus, had nicely developed arches from front to back and side to side, a fully modern human foot, really well adapted for long-distance travel on the ground. So this isn't really maybe as different as we would have thought a long time or a number of years ago as the difference between Australopithecus and human. And if you blow up an Australopith to be about the same size, you see this really fairly human-like lower limb, fairly human-like body shape, and some of the other differences um, may be a little bit less dramatic than we thought. So maybe this transition isn't as dramatic as we thought from the Australopith side. What can we now say about early Homo? We have now 2.8 million years ago we see the genus Homo appear based on this jaw. That's only a couple hundred thousand years after Lucy was roaming Ethiopia. And it's a long time ago. So, but it's just a jaw. I'm going to talk about the postcranial fossils associated with the origin of Homo. Right. I'm done now. Thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> I'm out. Um, so let's take a look at what we actually have. We have quite a number starting around 2 million years ago. There are a whole lot of isolated postcranial bones, bits of thigh and arm and this and that, and they're great, but without heads and teeth, we can't tell what species they belong to. So they're not as useful to us as we'd like. What about Homo erectus? Well, when we find bones that are associated with heads and teeth, we can tell what species they belong to. These are three skeletons, and as you see as you move over this way, I'm using that term pretty liberally. 
um, associated bones of Homo erectus from the beautiful Turkana boy, um, 1808-803 from Kubifora. But these are all about a million and a half years ago. That's over a million years after the origins of the genus. The Dominici fossils are a little bit older, 1.8, but that's still a million years after the origin of the genus Homo. Well, what about the other early Homo species, Habilis and Rudolfensis? These are the associated skeletons we have for Habilis. Looks a bit like they were hit with an artillery barrage, somewhat <laughs> underwhelming, but they're a little bit older. Kubi 4, 2.0, Olduvai Gorge, 1.8. There are some postcrania from the type site of Homo habilis. The association with actual habilis has been questioned by some people, so they're a little bit less certain in terms of their taxonomic assignments, but they are there too, so we have some of those. What about Homo rudolfensis postcrania? That's all we've got, right? We know absolutely nothing about its skeleton, which is unfortunate. Um, So this whole exercise is a bit like trying to squeeze blood from turnips, which either means it's really, really hard, or it means I can make anything up and there's no data to falsify it. That's all fine, too. But what can we actually say about that supposed set of characters that may seem to have gone together with the origin of Homo? Well, we can take a look at maybe body size, and Mark Grabowski and colleagues published some new body size estimates, and is there really a difference between Australopith and Homo? Well, when we look at Australopithecuses, we see there's a pretty good range in body size. They're not particularly large. They're all fairly similar. Um, When we look at Homo habilis, just a little bit more recent in time, We only have a couple specimens, but they fall right in that Australopith range, not particularly large. When we look at some of these Homo erectus fossils that we know are Homo erectus, even the Dominici samples really about similar to Australopithecus, you start to get a little bit larger individuals. But remember, again, this is 1.5 million years ago. This isn't very early in the evolution of the genus. And so maybe we're seeing, ah, here's when this trend in increasing body size happens. But we can look at the size of some of these isolated fossils. And here's a fossil I'm going to talk about a bit. It's a partial pelvis called 3228. It was from somebody who was about as big as the Turkana boy, and it was 1.9 million years ago. So what can we say about this? There doesn't seem to be a great trend in early evolution of Homo in either range of body sizes or absolute body sizes. So we're not seeing anything really dramatic happening early in the origin of the genus with body size and dimorphism. Well, what about limb proportions and body build? Well, when you're looking at the oldest things like habilis, it's a little hard to do limb proportions when they're pretty fragmentary. But what Chris Ruff was able to do is instead of looking at bone length, he was able to look at the bone strength. And if you compare a chimp, you take the leg to the arm here, and you see they're pretty similar in strength. They plot out about like this. Humans, the lower limbs are stronger than the upper limbs, so they plot out up here. And he was able to take these measurements for at least the OH62, the one in black here, and put them on the graph with some Homo erectuses. And what you see is these two Homo erectus skeletons are very human-like in their strength proportions, but Homo habilis is not. Homo habilis seems to have a different build. And actually, when you take the very few measurements you can take on this scrappy specimen, it also seems to have a little bit larger upper limbs relative to lower limbs than we tend to see in humans and maybe in these Homo erectus. The Dominici sample, interestingly, doesn't seem to have the sort of proportion. It seems to be more like the erectus, although the same studies haven't been done. So there seems to be some sort of a difference here between habilis and erectus, perhaps in body proportion, given how fragmentary the fossil evidence is. 
This is an interesting fossil I want to mention because Meve Leakey and her fo- colleagues found this in 2009. Actually, fit on this bit was found in 1980, which is kind of cool. And it's associated piece of pelvis and femur. But this ha- captures the hip joint. And the hip joint is interesting partly because we have a bunch of them in the fossil record, but partly because the hip joint seems to be a place that there isn't a lot of difference among these early homo species, as best we can say. Here's the 3228 pelvis again, and this pelvis shows a series of features that we only see in humans, we never see in Australopithecus, so it's not a bad hypothesis for a homo. These two are almost dead ringers for one another, but this one is just much smaller. So either these are a male and female of a really dimorphic species, or they're two species that happens to look the same, but they're both 1.9 million years old, so they're nice and early. Well, when we look at those homo-like features, we see them in, 32, or in this 5881, pardon me, this new specimen here. So here's Lucy, and you look at the front border of the ilium, part of the pelvis. It's straight in every Australopith we have. It's bent in every homo that we have, and it's bent in 5881. When we look at the ilium from the side, you can see this buttress called the iliac pillar here is more vertical and set back from the edge of the bone, and it's big in the homo pelvises. It's very weak in every australopith and angled right into the front of the bone. And 5881 here is looking like homo. So this looks kind of like a homo short of a creature. When we look at the other side of the hip joint, at the proximal femur, every time you see an australopith that has a relatively small femoral head, so a relatively small hip joint, you see that in the pelvis too, where homo, including modern humans, have a much larger femoral head. 5881 needs a little bit of digital reconstruction, which you can do actually quite accurately using CAD software. It also would have had a large femoral head, and we can see that in the pelvis too. And it's interesting that every femur we have that seems to be homo, attributed or not, has a big femoral head. And every Australopithecus we have, which is associated with postcranials, has a small one. So this seems to be a feature that characterizes all homo not related perhaps to body proportions. So changes in body proportion, change in hip joint size, don't seem to co-occur in early homo. Well, again, squeezing blood out of more turnips here, we can come back to our bone cross-sectional shape. And this is more work by Chris Ruff mostly. So you can take a femur, you can slice it open in the middle, and you can look at these sections. And everything we have that we know or suspect is homo erectus, actual homo erectus, um, that we have data for, it has these mid-shaft femurs very wide from side to side and short from front to back, and it has really indistinct marking on the back of the femur for attachment of muscles. When you put homo habilis on there, it's a very different shape, rounder, and it's longer from front to back. 5881 is a dead ringer for OH62 in this feature, and they both also have this big, thick attachment here for those thigh muscles. So, ah, you say, maybe this is homo habilis, maybe 5881 is habilis, that's great. But if you put data that Phil Reitmeyer kindly lent me from the Dimenisi skeletons, they are actually shaped like the habilis also. Now, either this says that Dimenisi is not homo erectus, which I really wouldn't want to say based on one character here, um, or something else is going on. Chris Ruff's idea about the explanation for these differences is that in homo erectus, when the pelvis gets bigger to accommodate larger brains, the whole body gets wider, and that puts more mediolateral bending stresses on the bone, and so they're wider to accommodate that. So that this shape would indicate a narrower body form than this shape. Well, we can look at a little bit of pelvic uh, shape in term 5881. You can take this curvature here, which gives you a little bit of an idea of the inlet, you can see Australopithecus very wide, a little wider in Homo erectus, and then these are later Homo things. 
put 5881, it seems to be narrower, which seems to fit with Chris's hypothesis about the explanation for the femoral bone shapes, in which case perhaps then Dominici may have had a narrower shape than we see in East African Homo erectus. Does this mean it's not Homo erectus? Hard to say. Remember that Dominici individuals are 300,000 years older than the Homo erectus individuals I have on this graph. That's a long time. Think about what happened to Neanderthals and humans in the last 50 or 100,000 years. So this could be something happening through time. It could be species-related. It's very hard to say, given how scrappy the fossil evidence is. But it does say that some of these characters aren't necessarily co-varying, and there seem to be different morphotypes within the genus Homo. All Homo doesn't look like all the other Homo from the neck down. And that's an important factor to think about when we're, again, constructing our adaptive explanations for what's going on in this transition from Australopithecus to Homo. So we have these creatures that may be not quite as stocky as we thought. The lower limbs may have been much better adapted for decent amounts or quality of travel while on the ground. And they may not have been as ape-like as we had previously thought with Australopithecus. When we look at the earliest homo, we may we sense at least some that may have even more ape limb proportions than we see in Australopithecus. We see that the combination of features of having larger lower limb joints, of having larger lower limb joints, longer lower limbs don't necessarily co-vary. Limbs were already long. Hip joints may have been gotten big at the beginning of homo, it's hard to say. Body form may have evolved differently in different species and or at different times. But we no longer have this idea of one change associated with the origin of the genus. And these well-adapted features that we see here that make this complex, that make homo erectus great, that do things like hunting and tool using and everything later, may be something that weren't associated with the origin of the genus, but came in much later. So in fact, if we compare Australopithecus to earliest Homo, this might be a more reasonable picture to have in our mind. Animals that weren't really very different, especially from the neck down, weren't really different in locomotor capabilities. If I had more reconstructions of different Homo species, you might have seen them look a little bit different from one another. But basically, the picture is that there's not a dramatic change here in the origin of Homo that has anything to do with the postcranial skeleton. Perhaps the adaptive changes with, associated with the origin of the genus had to do more with diet, other behaviors, or something else. And that's where we need to be thinking that gave the, what happened in the origin of Homo that gave rise to all the other great things that we've been hearing about today. I'd say thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.